I read of a man who stood to speak at a funeral of a friend. He referred to the dates on the tombstone from the beginning to the end. He noted that the first came the date of birth and spoke of the following dates with tears. But he said what mattered most of all was the dash between those years. For the dash represents all the time they spent alive on earth, and now only those who love them know what that little line is worth. For it matters not how much we own, the cars, the house, the cash. What matters is how we live in love and how we spend our dash. So think about this long and hard. Are there things you'd like to change? For you never know how much time is left that still can be rearranged. To be less quick to anger and show appreciation more and love the people in our lives like we never loved before. If we treat each other with respect and more often wear a smile, remembering that this special dash might only last a little while. So when your eulogy is being read with your life's actions to rehash, would you be proud of the things that they say about how you lived your dash? This is the Mac Oligarchy Podcast with your host, Tim McClone. A mentor, many, many years ago, when I was going through a tough time in Europe, gave me this poem. And um, I keep it on my desk, and I keep it in my phone, and I look at it every morning. And um, I remember what my dad said one time. He said, Tim, it's the ordinary ones who define who we are as a people. Not the ones after status, money, or fame. And uh, he said that, and it kind of put the poem in perspective in real life terms. So there's roughly about 5 million podcasts. Do we really need another one? Probably not. Probably not. But I'm going to read my thought process here through the microphone as to why I'm doing this. So if you just listen for the next two minutes, that's all you have to do. And at the end, I want to talk about a little health and fitness, some game changers at the end. But uh, we go over here, entrepreneurship, business, finance, uh, real estate, and uh, we have to talk a little bit about politics because it affects business. So we have another number of verticals that we'd like to talk about. But if you just listen in the next two minutes, this is the reason I'm doing this podcast. It's not for money. It's not for fame. It's not for cash. You know, I think the way we should look at the chessboard right now, the most important thing is maintaining the ability for us to discuss what needs to be discussed, what needs to be talked about in a place where it can be found by people who want to hear it. Everything boils down to freedom of speech right now. And I see it being ripped away from this great country. 80% of Americans have never had their passport stamped. They don't know how bad it is in other countries. I do. I traveled the world, lived in 14 plus countries. And this is a revolution right now. In my opinion, its aim is to hurt you. Yes, that would include physically in the end, in my opinion, if you look at history. Sorry, my friends, listen. This is the most important message of the broadcast. If someone tells you you're not allowed to speak, if someone tells you 
you know, your children are not your children. These are not ideological differences. For instance, I prefer, you know, this uh, tax the rich policy. These are totalitarian measures that treat you as non-human. Human beings, free citizens, get to say what they think. Slaves, serfs, must be quiet. This is the distinction. These are natural rights that distinguish the citizen from the slave. The human from the subhuman. We can't consider slaves fully human or you know, we wouldn't uh, enslave them. So anyone treating you as a slave considers you less than human, in my opinion. People don't pause to consider the implications of this madness right now. This is totalitarianism, make no doubt about it. It's what I've talked about on my YouTube channel. This is not a debate. They don't want a debate. I really think we should begin to see this for what it is, which is a very big deal on which all depends, not just our republic, like your family as well. This is very serious time we are in. We are at a crossroads. You know, the bottom line is this. There's, do you choose the road of freedom of speech or totalitarianism? This is the you know most important important question, in my opinion, of 2024. You know, I know we have the border, we have inflation, stagflation, but freedom of speech is the bedrock of this country. It's even more important than any other issue right now. And what I'm seeing in this country, and what I remember, and I'm still relatively young, I'm astonished and I can't believe it. And I think more voices need to speak up. We need more podcasts um, because we won't have any podcasts if, if this bedrock of this great country is taken away. I mean, it is just a crazy time to be alive right now. All the madness. And I just want to touch on a few verticals. I mean, so that's why I'm doing this. And um, it's very important to me, this country. It's a beautiful place. And when you look at other places in the world, and I don't want to get into that, we are very lucky. We're the freest country in the world and the least racist country in the world. So if you look at what's going on in New York right now, New York Mayor Adams reverses plan to give luxury Harlem condos to migrants. You know what happened? A major public outcry. It's going to give, um, you know, give them some uh, luxury condos to migrants. Also, did you know that a $53 million pilot program for illegal aliens for uh, the state of New York passed? And it's good to hear ESPN host Stephen Smith and others talking about this BS who live in the great state of New York. Not so great now. So it's good to hear voices out there speaking up and rallying against the, these plans in New York uh, to give prepaid cards totaling $53 million to migrants in the cities, ladies and gentlemen. That is absolutely 100% true. So let me, let me point this. And I've talked about this in the past. We have 60% of Americans living paycheck to paycheck. They only have enough for a $400 emergency. 60% of Americans. We have 330 million people in this country. More than half only have $400 in savings. How is that a healthy country? 
how is that a healthy country, my friends? You know, I, as I mean, as I've talked to my friends and you, you folks know this, I see homeless people everywhere and it's gotten worse over the last three years. Um, we have American citizens homeless on our streets of, of New York in every major city and we can't help our citizens right now and our veterans. I see people sleeping in cars here in LA all over the place, but we're going to give 53 million to illegal aliens. We have poor impoverished people all over this country who were born here and raised in the USA. How in the hell do we come up with a $53 million program for illegals, but for folks who are here legally, nothing, not a dime? You know, just like we come up with uh, billions for Ukraine. We're over $100 billion, you know? A lot of money being stolen, by the way, and used for kickbacks, folks. That's why they're so quick to pass this plan. And billions for Israel, billions, but nothing for our people, nothing. All this going on and we can't fix homeless, the homeless problem. You know, I'm okay with helping some other countries. I'm in agreement with some people that it should be a loan. Um, you know, we have to fix our own house first, but it should be limited when we give these countries monies uh, until our own house is in order. So how the hell do you print money? for foreign countries, but nothing for American citizens. I can't wrap my head around that. How do you get rid of it? You know, how do you get rid of it? Homelessness. You know, well, you have a roaring economy like we did. Inflation needs to be low. Can't be in a recession. And we are in a recession. We've had two consecutive quarters of negative gross. You know, milk can't be seven bucks. Bread doesn't need to cost $5. You know, we are in a recession in 2023, but they changed the metrics. And don't talk to me about the labor participation rate, that fake jobs report. People are getting two jobs to pay the same prices or to continue to buy the same amount of stuff you used to buy. We also count part-time jobs in that jobs report. You know, I'm no fan of either party right now, but uh, this is uh, why Trump's going to win, some people think. You know, Senator Lindsey Graham, God bless his soul, he's got his problems, says a $66 billion House bill reinstating Remain in Mexico and Title 42 border policies is a way to get aid to Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan. Yeah. You know, let me, let me state something very clear. Russia won the war. I did a talk on this over a year and a half ago, and I turned out to be right. But when you have friends on the ground in Eastern Europe, and you know where to look for the research. Ukraine has lost over 500,000 people. Less than 100,000 Russian troops are injured casualties, somewhere in the $60,000, 60, excuse me, 60,000 range. They, they've crushed Ukraine. They decimated the country. It's, it's over. And um, so we can help all these other countries, Ukraine, Israel, and Taiwan, with their borders. You know, those two things on the border, I think, you know, simply will work and they will want to slim down the aid package to $60 billion, said Graham. We'll slim that down. I don't think we should give them a dime. And I think we should reinstate stay in Mexico. Because guess what? Unfortunately, you know, it worked. Uh, you know, I think, you know, remain in Mexico. Is, is the number one game changer. And age in, in the aid going forward should be a loan. 
that's one thing, uh, you know, I have many disagreements with both parties, and that's one thing I agree that Trump said, and his, some of his, uh, co, you know, minions, uh, it should be a loan. Uh, Senator J.D. Vance in Germany, $61 billion, he said, fundamentally won't change the war. And it won't, ladies and gentlemen. I don't want to get deep into Ukraine, but Ukraine is the most corrupt country in the world. It's in the top three. And it's been used as money laundering and uh, siphoning money. We don't care about the people of Ukraine. And you got to ask yourself this question. Why are they so die hard to pass this legislation get that money they want it bad they want it bad but the bottom line is ukraine lost the war it's over it's over and they need to get their heads out of the sand and take the high road and cut a deal with putin putin's a thug but every president in every country including the united states kill people We've killed a lot of people. Russia's killed a lot of people. China's killed a lot of people in the name of democracy. So let's move on to something a little lighthearted that goes back to New York and all the crime in major cities. Did you hear about um, Sylvester Stallone, Sly? Sly right now, I tell you, he's ahead of the curve. I love this guy. He He's having Navy SEALs train his daughters ahead of a move to crime-plague New York City. Yes, he's getting his daughters ready to go to New York. So legendary rock, the actor, uh, Sylvester Stallone, has hired Navy SEALs to train two of his daughters. I think it's uh, Sistine and uh, Sophia prior to their move to New York City. He said it, uh, it was a rigorous routine. Every day at 6 a.m. he would make us, uh, they would eat egg whites uh, with ketchup. Uh, for some reason, he said that's a good bulk up. Uh, Sophia's daughter, 27, explained, but then it was a lot of sit-ups, push-ups pull-ups, clean and jerks. I love it, Sly. New York is so dirty, the sisters stated that the first time they went, they were getting to know the city, and they uh, stepped on a rat. They said it was the size of a mini dog. They said they were screaming and running down the street. So the daughter, the daughters went on to say, despite New York's unending crime epidemic, which now includes criminal illegal aliens outright attacking the police, if you've seen that, Stallone's daughters love the city and believe it's a better place to live than Los Angeles. The energy is incredible and the people are so fun, different, and unique. It's just a place of discovery. You know, I'd have to agree with that. When uh, I went to New York for a job interview many, many years ago, and uh, I remember I had three bags in my hand, and I met eyes with a lady at the hotel who was walking through the spinning door. Like I went on the side door, and I met with her like, hey, can you help me? And she just looked at me and said, you don't think I'm going to hold the door for you, do you? Because I'm not. And I said, I love it here. I was walking down the street after my job interview. Someone's like, hey, we like your energy. Come to this party. You know, that would never happen in L.A. So I have to agree with Sly Sisters. I'm a very punctual person. I have two cell phones. I have four computer screens. And it's funny. I probably get 150, 200 calls, and I'm calling people, talking to people all day long, and I try to get back to everyone in two hours, and if I can't, I send an email. And it's funny when I get back to people right away in L.A., because they think you want something from them. But in New York, when I'm punctual, they love it. And it's just me, hey, it's like, hey, pal, in, in, in L.A., here, here it is for you guys in L.A. Uh, when I take your call, I got two others coming in, and I get over 300 emails a day. 
So you're not special. I'm just trying to be punctual. Okay. I am. The first time I went on a date in LA, she showed up 25 minutes late. And I, I, I probably, I wrecked her a little much. And she said, well, I thought this, that's what they do in LA, Tim. I said, no, not me. I got up and walked out. Bottom line is we dated for a year and a half and she was from France. But, uh, people just come out here and think it's just nice to be fashionably late. When I show up to a meeting in LA, I show up early and it's not because I want some. It's because I'm treating you with respect and it's what my father taught me to do. So for all you LA people, when someone shows up early, maybe they're just trying to be respectful and they don't want anything from you. So fly, get those daughters ready. I think it's smart. Um, they're ready for New York because all this crime in these cities is, it's just insane what uh, George Soros has done with these prosecutors. And uh, people are fed up with it. People are fed up. We didn't understand what was going on. But these cities, Philadelphia, Chicago, L.A., if you've ever gone to Singapore, Dubai, Abi, you know, in the Middle East, Japan, uh, you go ahead and litter in Singapore. Go ahead and litter in Dubai uh, or Abu Dhabi. It is just beautiful there, the airports and everything. We are starting to look like a gutter third world country and it shouldn't be this way in the richest country in the world it's done by design it's disgusting um, all the crime and businesses that are closing and you need to wake up to this and you need to get involved in your local communities so i'm off my soapbox moving on i saw this story and it was interesting all hell broke loose when a harvard economist needed armed guards after uh, study found no racial bias in police shootings. So I'm, I'm, I'm just reading, I'm, I researched this, I saw this, and I thought it was an interesting story. So Harvard economist professor Roland Fryer needed armed security with him to go out in public after he published a study finding no evidence of racial bias in officer-involved shootings. He said in an interview with the uh, Free Press, so interesting, he's a top economist, He's scary smart. He became the youngest tenured black professor at Harvard's history at just 30 years old. And he published a study in 2016 showing there was no racial difference in officer-involved shootings. After he published the study, all hell broke loose. Uh, you know, they lost their minds, he said. Uh, they didn't, you know, they didn't like the result, he said. And after the study was complete, Fire said he hired eight additional freshmen to redo the study, but came up with the same result. So it was uh, focused on, uh, on the most extreme use of force, officers involved shootings. And his study found no racial difference in either the raw data or when um, like contextual factors are taken into account. So he paid the price for that study. So that's interesting. Um, interesting study. Good luck to him. I think he lost his job from the, and then he sued. And uh, I think it's still in litigation. So moving on to real estate, one of my verticals. I think it's important to talk about this real quick. The DOJ advocates uh, for a prohibition of cooperative compensation and commission lawsuits. So the government agency says that buyers would still be able to ask sellers to pay their broker representation fees 
the Department of Justice, DOJ, is asking the real estate industry to consider a world without the practice of cooperative compensation. So what does that mean? Currently, in order to list a property, the listing broker must make an offer at least one cent, but under the settlement, uh, you know, the MLS, um, the MLS pin would drop that to zero dollars. So the modified rule still gives sellers and their listing brokers a role in setting compensation for buyer brokers. Um, so bottom line is, according to DOJ, when a, when a seller makes an offer for compensation to a buyer broker, the buyer broker does not need to compete on their compensation price in order to attract clients. So the DOJ, they're claiming that since offers of you know, cooperative compensation are published in the MLS alongside listings, home sellers can choose to offer smaller amounts or no compensation at all will be disadvantaged. As buyer brokers, and this is the key, Buyer brokers will steer clients to properties that offer higher commissions. So as long as sellers can make buyer broker commission offers, they will continue to offer customary commissions out of fear that buyer brokers will direct buyers away from listings with lower commissions. So that's a, that's a phenomenon in the industry known as steering. So preventing sellers and listing agents from setting buyer broker commissions would promote greater price competition and innovation in the market for broker services. So bottom line is if, if, if buyers set the compensation for their own brokers directly, some buyer brokers might choose to you know, offer flat fees or hourly rates in lieu of percentage commissions since the amount of time and effort required by a buyer broker has a weak correlation. And, you know, to the ultimate sale price of the house and most, if not all, buyers would you know, likely prefer a fee structure that does not reward their broker for helping them to pay, you know, for example, for more for a home. So while I think, you know, the industry has repeatedly voiced its concern about forcing buyers to pay out of pocket for broker representation, the DOJ claimed in its filing that while some buyers may choose to pay out of pocket, others could still choose to request, and this is key, in, in an offer that the uh, seller pay a you know, like a specified amount to the buyer broker uh, from the proceeds of the home sale. So, you know, so the current practice could continue where the seller, you know, factors the commission into, you know, the offer the seller is willing to accept. I think that's key. You know, I can look at both sides of this. I'm not going to dig deep, deep into this. It's still on the table. But in any industry, 90% of lawyers, real estate brokers, agents, investors, they're worth shit. They don't know what they're doing. Real estate agents and brokers, 90% of them are glorified couriers. But the seller, broker agents, and the buyer broker agents, the good ones, provide a valuable service and in um, helping, you know, when stuff is listed on the MLS. Uh, the buyer broker agent sees that and they help their clients through the process and everything that's involved. And, and I don't need to get into this. The good ones, it's a lot of work on the sell side and buy side, and they deserve every penny they get. But the bad ones in any industry, there's a lot of them out there. And a lot of them have left after COVID. A lot of people got into the real estate sector thinking they're going to make a lot of money during COVID. And guess what? 
a lot of agents and brokers have left the industry. So this is only one of five verticals I do to make money. Um, I'm doing a lot of other stuff. We'll talk about that later. So I'm moving on to the last part of the presentation. One of the verticals I'm you know, passionate about is health and fitness. And I'm just going to touch on this real quick because I read this and, and I'm a big fan. And uh, I was surprised by oatmeal. So it's one of my favorite carbs. You know, while oatmeal, it's tutored as a you know, healthy carb and source of fiber. Uh, according to some studies, there's more cons than pros with the food. So the problem is, you know, their, their oats are loaded with a compound called phytic acid. That significantly lowers your absorption of certain minerals and, and uh, vitamins such as calcium, magnesium, and zinc. So I'll say this right now: I take a multivitamin. I take a lot of I take a lot of zinc every other day. So I'm not worried about that. And I take magnesium for cramping and muscle relaxation at night. So they're saying it lowers calcium, magnesium, and zinc. So whenever you eat oats, the acid causes you to absorb less of these vitally important minerals. Um, there's also another problem: is that they contain a lot of high residue concentration of toxic, you know, herbicides, and they can damage your gut. And they've been linked to other health problems like cancer, hormone issues, and more. So, and they're saying there's mold-based toxins that can cause an array of gut problems, hormone problems, and more. And they contain high uh, levels of toxicity metals, which is linked to health problems as toxicity heavy metals accumulate in your body. The bottom line is this. I think there's good research on the other side of the fence for your heart. And um, I prefer to have white rice before I work out. And I also have it before I go to bed. Uh, there's a lot of research in rice and the gut and fat loss if you look at it. Um, but I still going to have my oats three or four days a week. And, um, you know, I, I have half a cup of oatmeal mixed in with some honey, some Greek yogurt, two scoops of whey protein, some cayenne pepper, some turmeric, um, a splash of uh, apple cider vinegar and honey 86 is it. And uh, I like doing that three days a week. So, you know, everything in moderation, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, there's good and bad to everything. Um, but there are some toxicity issues. I can see that. I researched it deeper. Uh, but I think oats have value. You just don't want to slam them every day. And uh, I have my oats three days a week. And then I alternate with other, other things. So I want to touch on that. I think, um, you know, I used to be way deep, neck deep into the health and fitness. And, um, and I used to talk about it every day. I used to be the guy back in the day that, 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 uh, read all the anabolic reference guide and all these books on health and fitness. And I worked out with a lot of interesting people. Um, you know, I was, I was way neck deep into it early on. Maybe that had to do with, I was a little guy and I got harassed a little bit. Maybe I wanted to go in the gym and bulk up and I was a wrestler and, um, I played football, played basketball. But I, I just met a lot of interesting people when I was international who went to the gym. And anyone who goes to the gym knows that uh, just you kind of have your little club and, and um, you know, you start seeing some results in the gym. And I had a lot of good uh, people behind me that were older, 10, 15 years older, that taught me how to train and work out and, and do, and, you know, not just, not just lifting weights, but we did martial arts. Um, we ran hills and all these things. And, just the camaraderie you have with people uh, 
it was a great experience when I was 18, 19, and it kind of took to me about studying health and fitness and vitamins and minerals and all these things. So I'm not going to get neck deep in there. It's not something I like to talk about every day, like a fitness channel, but I'm going to bring it up on every uh, little bit at the end, uh, some fitness tips, but want to make you wear the oats. And we're going to continue with the health and fitness here. Um, you know, when we talk about COVID-19. And I'm just going to go through some some stuff that um, it's already been reported. I've looked at all the studies, and um, I'm just going to review this. It's, it's just astonishing right now where we're at with this. So a top F FDA official admits didn't do good enough job informing Americans of COVID-19 vaccine death injuries. An FDA director was chastised over the federal agency's failure to inform Americans about deaths associated with COVID-19 vaccines. He said they covered it up, people. You're right between the lines. So this gentleman last week during a House Oversight Committee hearing on improving vaccine injury and compensation system, you know, the compensation systems. So the F, this is the FDA director at the Center for Biologics Evaluation and Research. Peter Marks admitted the FDA probably not, didn't do a good job at keeping Americans informed of vaccine-induced deaths. Uh, interesting. Interesting. Number two, the Biden administration mandated that the COVID-19 vaccine without a sufficient system in place to compensate individuals' injuries by the policy. Number three, the FDA accelerated the COVID-19 vaccine approval process to seemingly meet arbitrary mandate timelines set by the Biden administration. Executive branch officials from the CDC and FDA agree that the federal government can never guarantee a vaccine is 100% safe. That's what they said. It's not 100% safe. And you can't sue. The pharma companies gave themselves immunity, so you can't sue them. So vaccine injury reporting and compensation systems were not prepared to handle the avalanche of injury claims caused by COVID-19 vaccine. That's from them. Shortcomings in the vaccine injury reporting and vaccine compensation systems, as well as the ineffective government messaging during the pandemic, deteriorated public trust in the vaccine safety. So these are the key points from my research. You know, COVID vaccine shedding is real. The FDA and Pfizer documents are proof. Clinicians, they tried to deny it. You know, all gene therapy products pose a risk of shedding, ladies and gentlemen, from the top researchers. Now it's out. And uh, the CDC COVID-19 patients are 4.3 times more likely to develop chronic fatigue. U.S. officials concede no active surveillance on long-term effects of COVID-19 vaccines. The COVID boosters, shots, they carry increased myocarditis risk for young adults. That's a Nordic study. And Japanese man dies from myocarditis after second dose of Pfizer COVID-19 vaccine in a story. Frequent COVID boosters in immune-compromised patients may be causing more harm than benefit, new review suggests. More COVID-19 vaccines linked to higher infection risk uh, studies. So the list goes on and on. The bottom line is this, and I learned this very early on, 99.7% of the entire world population, if you get COVID, you don't go to a hospital or die. 
We know it's people that have comorbidities that might run into some problems. We're talking diabetes, heart disease. You're a healthy male, female adult. You're not going to have any problems. Anyone knows the flu? We haven't heard about the flu at all. Three to 600,000 people die worldwide of the flu. What happened to the flu? Did it disappear? People are still dying every day of the flu, and the flu will take you down hard. But that's just the fact. And a lot of doctors are saying now we would have had herd immunity at 18 months if we didn't have a vaccine. It's interesting. I'm not going to get deep in this. Um, but I will say this for you wokesters. Now, I worked for Big Pharma. I worked for Merck, Pfizer, Novartis, and Sales Marketing Imagine. I consulted for Big Pharma, and I will say this to start. They were great to me. The training, the learning, the people that I worked with were overall fantastic. Some scary, smart people, nuts, and some not so bright. But it was a great experience very early in my career, my 20s, uh, to be in that environment. I mean, that was the job to have, ladies and gentlemen. It was 8 to 12 interviews to get these jobs. And um, and I'm telling you, the training was insane. I mean, it was like 12 weeks in a classroom and this and that. And I was in heaven because I'm a nerd and I love to study compounds and drugs. And, and it was just the right industry for me to be in that time. And um, But I would leave you with this. If you're truly woke, you would be against vaccines and you would be against masks because you're helping corporations make money if you're for vaccines and helping entrepreneurs and corporatists like me make money. So, for example, I sold masks with four other investors to another country and I made some money. So, as Rama Emanuel said, never let a good crisis go to waste. Corporatists and entrepreneurs will always make money no matter how bad or what the climate is. And um, I knew very early on what was going on with the vaccine uh, when all the people in China were dropping dead. I made a few phone calls to Europe and I was told what was really going on. That was propaganda. But I would never put a drug in my body that's experimental until I know more about it and, and do a lot of my own research and talk to professionals. We all thought we were going to die in the first two weeks of this. No one knew what was going on. But if you're truly woke, you know, I would think you'd want to be against vaccines and masks because you're helping corporatists and five, like a few major companies cornered the market for masks and individuals, entrepreneurs sold masks, if you remember, like me. And now what do we know? Masks don't work at all. I did a talk on this. They don't work. I knew very early on they didn't work, by the way. Um, a major study came out. And from a epidemiologist, world renowned, and this is all out now. Masks don't work, and it included N95 masks. And now we know with the COVID vaccine, you get vaccinated, you can still spread. There's problems maybe with the DNA. I'm still researching all this myself. I'm not saying anything, but there's problems with the DNA. There's problems with myocarditis. I've talked to funeral home directors, and these now people are coming out talking about this. I've called a lot in the Midwest and Texas, and they're pointing out clots of people's bodies. So I'm not saying it has to do with the vaccine, but a lot of weird stuff is going on. And I just reviewed with you folks all these line items. So more and more of this is coming out. And uh, I'm all for vaccines. Let me just say that. They've done good over the long, long haul years. But I have a problem with this one and all the stuff I'm reading about it. it you know, it is experimental. The pharma companies uh, gave themselves immunity if you run into problems. And there's just a lot of concerns, and I think it's good to have open dialogue about it. Um, you know, I'm not saying I'm, I haven't formed my 100% of my opinion yet, but for all you people that uh, didn't want to give the unvaxxed or didn't want to just have an open conversation about it, 
Uh, I would think if you're truly woke, you would be against vaccines because you're helping corporations make money. And you'd be against masks because you're helping corporatists and entrepreneurs make money. Because we did. And I've owned Pfizer stock for 12 years. And I bought more during COVID. Because I worked there. So I'm heavily, my portfolio is heavy uh, pharmaceuticals and biotech. So with that said, I think uh, it's going to be an epic year in 24. A lot of craziness has happened. And I think more voices need to be heard. I don't care what anyone says. I'm here to help. And um, it's all about freedom of speech, ladies and gentlemen, and the right to be heard and give your opinions and let the chips fall where they may. If you don't want to hear it, you don't have to listen to it. And that's the bedrock of this country. And we need more podcasters to talk and have open dialogue and share ideas and disagree. And you can agree to disagree. Um, and that's what makes this um, country great and that's why i love living here because i've been to other countries third world countries and i see what's going on so i'll leave you with this it's a long way to the top if you want to rock and roll till episode two god bless america take care